0: I'm sorry.
1: Hello, boy, we are so excited to have an incredible, incredible guest today. Look, uh, the world is changing, all right? So, we uh, truly, truly need to um, realize what's going on with our world. Our world is uh, in a state of crisis, right? Our world is in a state of crisis. So, If we want to avoid a state of crisis, what do we do? We have to change. And the way we change is by looking at our behavior and figuring out, hey, um, there's something else we can do that is um, less destructive to our planet. And that is um, really a, a way to save the world. So right now, I would like to introduce a woman who is absolutely one of my heroes, Elizabeth Alfano of Awesome Vegans Podcast of Plant-Based Business Hour. Elizabeth, tell us, where do we stand right now In the midst of a pandemic that is a zoonotic illness that jumped from animals to humans, where the whole world seems to be waking up that animal agriculture is just a huge problem we are facing as a global society. There is the rise of plant-based food, which you cover in depth on Plant-Based Business Hour, on Awesome Vegans Podcast. We had Greta Thunberg just issue a video where she's urging people to switch to a plant-based diet to save the planet. It's an extraordinary five-minute video. We have Oatly going public um, on the heels of the Beyond Meat IPO in 2019 that was so successful. Where is the state of plant-based business today? Yeah, it's such an exciting
0: time. So, you know, I always feel badly for those who aren't in the plant-based space, because if you're not in the plant-based space and you turn on the television, it's bad news all day long. But if you're in the plant-based space, it is good news all day long. Every day is a new record. Every day, uh, change is happening for the better, for the planet, for our future generations. You know, if you have kids, of course, this deeply matters to you, of course, for animals and for our own health. And when you talk about bettering your own health, you're really talking about bettering your own wallet, because being sick is very expensive. So um, this good news is happening all the time. The plant-based foods organization in conjunction with GFI did a great study coming to um, the conclusion that plant-based foods are up 47% over the last two years. Yes, it's wonderful. Uh, Plant-based meat is up 27%. You're seeing uh, plant-based meat go from 1 billion to 1.4 billion. There's been incredible growth in this area. and you're only going to see exponential growth from there. So just throwing out some numbers, the Boston Consulting Group did a study saying, okay, well, we see the traction of what is happening over the last two years. Where will we be in the future? And they're saying, now, hold on to your hats here because this number is a big... One. if you've got 1.4 billion in alternative protein basically meats today, by 2035, you're going to have 290 billion. So if the meat market globally is 1.4 trillion, by 2035, you're going to have 290 billion. That's about 23% of the meat market is going to be plant-based meats. So that is very exciting to think very shortly, all in our lifetimes, we're going to have a huge chunk of the meat market actually be plant-based meat. And when you see places like Boston Consulting Group, UBS, AT Kearney, talk about not plant-based meats over here and the meat market over here, but the global meat market and plant-based meat is a huge portion of that. It's a very exciting time.
1: So when you see, I know that non-dairy milks, Oatly, for example, their IPO, huge, Yes. The plant based milk sector is reportedly the fastest growing trend, and people are really adopting it in droves. Um, Is that the shining star? Um, How would you um, break it down in terms of what's the most successful, what's the most challenging? Elizabeth.
0: Yes, I, I love that you say that. So I do this a lot with my clients. I have a consulting company called Plant Powered Consulting. And the reason I started this consulting agency is because, you know, it used to be you'd have Impossible Burger over here and Beyond Meat and um, maybe Califia Farms and Silk and obviously then Oatly came along. So you need know, to have four or five products. Now there are so many plant-based products um, and not just milk and burgers, but you've got bacon and you've got yogurt and you've cream cheese and everything you could ever want. So I started Plant Powered Consulting and what I help is my uh, companies, my brands to help navigate the plant-based landscape. So when you ask, what is the biggest challenge? Uh, it's really government subsidies. So that's really annoying You'd you'd and, and uh, Paul uh, Watson of Sea Shepherd says this, you know, governments never lead. They are the last to get on board. It's always consumers that lead the way. And then finally, governments say, "Okay, well, I can line my pockets more by agreeing with consumers because they're now the majority than I could before. So um, what you're seeing is that here's the the great news. Consumers on their own volition. Thank you, COVID, um, making people realize there's a connection to their from their food, not just to their health, but to these global pandemics. Um, consumers are realizing that they want better options for themselves, for their kids, for the planet, for their health, for animals. So consumers are demanding, and the truth is there's not enough supply. So that's the good thing, good and bad, I guess, you know there's there's not enough co-manufacturing facilities to make enough plant-based products, milk and meat to supply the growing demand, that flexitarian person who says, well, you know, I'm not 100% vegan, but I get it. I got the memo. I lived through COVID myself. I know what's going on and I want better options. Plus, I've been hearing from my doctor forever that, you know, I got to eat less meat. So, um, that is really an exciting thing. But the challenge I would say is government subsidies still holding back plant-based brands because it's an uneven playing field. So, government subsidies going to meat and dairy, giving them an Advantage to be unnaturally low in price because they're subsidized, and not going to plant-based foods, so making them unnaturally expensive because they're not getting these subsidies. There's that, and then we just can't make enough fast enough. So it's it's really it's unfortunate the government can't get behind a level playing field. We do live in capitalism, so you know let's we would hope that that would be the case, and government research. So you you would hope for research to be behind plant-based innovation because as we saw with COVID, COVID. Did two things it disrupted labor supplies and it disrupted food supplies so as a question of national security having a stable food supply is really an issue a political issue so you'd think they'd get behind it but they haven't been
1: yeah and when we talk about capitalism obviously the u.s government subsidizing meat and dairy that's not capitalism that's corporate socialism 100%. so let's let capitalism uh, take place and allow these plant-based food products that consumers want to uh, hit the marketplace in a fair fashion, we've got a caller, Kim. Your question or thought for Elizabeth Alfano of the Plant Based Business Hour. Hi, thank you, thank you both. I was wondering, do you foresee any um, stop to this subsidizing of the meat and dairy? I mean, why? Why? Is, how long is the government going to do that? Is there any, you know, talk about ending that? Not Great that question. I can see. Yeah. Great Perhaps question. Greatest question. Recently, of course, um, the idea of the government taking away your meat became this political football. And instead of saying, hey, we do need to look at this issue, uh, the uh, USDA's leader, who is a former dairy trade group leader, yes. uh, Tom Vilsack, said, oh, no, we're not going to do anything with that. So unfortunately, you have government institutions like the USDA that have been completely co-opted by the meat and dairy industry. Uh, How do we deal with that? We know the farm bill is coming up, uh, I I believe in 2023, and that really Mm -hmm. determines all those subsidies. What's being done to, uh, with with the acceleration of climate change and the impact of animal agriculture on climate change, wake up these institutions that this is a very self-destructive, almost suicidal strategy.
0: Uh, yes. And if you haven't had the Agricultural Fairness Alliance on this show, you should have them. Laura does an incredible job. But there is the Agricultural Fairness Alliance, which is working to have subsidies for the plant based industry in anticipation of that bill coming in 2023 so that we can start to have a voice for these other um, products and industries, basically plant-based milks and plant-based meats. Currently, there really is no voice. So it's an echo chamber of those who are lining their pockets. So meat and dairy lobbyists are there in full front saying, you know, well, we want to continue subsidies for ourselves, just as you would expect that they would. Um, although you are seeing consumer dissatisfaction with that and more and more consumer shifting. And when consumers shift, Companies shift. So, you see JBS, the largest meat producer in the world out of Brazil. You see them buying Vivera, which is a Dutch plant-based company. You see um, them launching Plantera, which is their own line of plant-based goods. You see them opening a plant-based innovation center in Brazil. You see them aligning with left. Foods out of Israel to make cellular meat in the future. So, you know, you see someone like J- JBS, the largest in the world, really starting to shift their product lines. When you shift those product lines, you get more distribution out to the mainstream public that wants this. And then you have those companies like JBS saying, actually, I think I'd like some subsidies on my plant based side. And that's when you're really going to see a shift.
1: Wow. Well, uh, this is so exciting. It's exciting for me to see this growth, uh, having been vegan for 23 years, when uh, when we first uh, started on this journey to plant-based, you'd go into a vegan restaurant, you'd know everybody because there was only two people yeah, there, right, the yeah. chef and yourself, <laughs> and now it's very hard to get a table at some of these hot vegan restaurants. So Um, What do you see in terms of the vegan restaurant space? Obviously, during the pandemic, there has been some challenges there. Yes, of course. But I see now that challenges,
0: um, things are loosening up. At least I speak for the United States. Europe is still having a little bit of a tricky time, but uh, things are loosening up. You're seeing more and more restaurants open up new ones and the old ones are coming back online. So I think you're just seeing more and more options for plant-based. So for example, uh, I split my time between Chicago and Los Angeles. And I'll give you an example of a um, restaurant owned by the Nick who does Nick's on Beverly and um, Monty's Burger. He just opened, I believe it's called the Beer Party Company. So you think, okay, it's just a brewery, fine. They only serve plant-based. And it is intended for that 25-year-old male who's watching sports, who's drinking beer. It's only plant-based pizza, plant-based burgers, plant-based chicken, plant-based wings, etc. So, And they're not even really advertising it. It's, it's a beer. It's a brewery place. That's the gig. But it's a plant-based menu. I think you're going to see more and more just flexitarian-minded restaurants.
1: I think we need a whole crusade for hotels. I was at a hotel in Marina del Rey a seafood restaurant, there were no vegan options. And I said to the manager, uh, it's a new, newly open hotel. I said, you know, are there any vegan options here? I said, it should be vegan options. And he said, you're not the first person to ask for that. I'll tell the chef, yeah. but you'd think this is Los Angeles, not Akron, Ohio. Um, my gosh, there should be more plant-based options for hotels. It's one of the, I think, overlooked areas um although there are people doing incredible work with hotels like the four seasons um that is very very plant-based friendly uh, um, do, can you address that briefly yeah. Uh, first of all, I think I'll say shout out to Akron, Ohio,
0: because it is. Uh, yes, of course, Brooklyn leads, San Francisco leads, Austin leads, Los Angeles leads. But you're seeing a lot of that demand come from the underserved places. This is what I mean when I say that there's not enough supply of plant-based goods for the demand that is out there, and it is coming from places in the South and Akron, Ohio. You know, places that you're not naturally expecting. They too want healthier options. They too lived through COVID. They felt the food supply disruption they put together, you know, okay, this started in a wet market. It is believed by most um, and understood to be the case. There's a connection between factory farming and my food, a wet market just being another example of factory farming. It falls under that umbrella of cramps, conditions, spreading disease, animals literally nose to butt in that situation. So, you know, they're, they're getting the message and Akron, Ohio wants it just as much as San Francisco. So, yes, uh, you know, some are going to be slow on the uptake. But they will, I'm talking from a business competitive standpoint, they will not last because this is not going away. This is not some kind of fad. This is here to stay. And if you don't understand the changing marketplace, you will fall behind.
1: Now, this is all great. And we've had some great news. There's a top restaurant in New York that just announced they're coming out of the pandemic plant-based, 100% plant-based, which is in the New York Times. There's Epicurious, which is a huge website on food that says it's moved away from beef and it's headed toward moving away from dairy, I uh, had read. Um, Those are really positive things. But unfortunately, with the glowing global population, we still, with this growing global population, we still see an increase in the number of animals killed every year. Can you address that dichotomy? Yes. So, um, it's a
0: very frustrating. So, because the population is growing and it's getting wealthier, countries like China and India are really driving meat consumption. These are countries that never had meat. They thought, well, the West had meat, so now we want meat because we're getting uh, wealthier. So, this is a status thing. But, of course, more meat means more health implications, more health problems really is what I'm saying. So, um, I expect, can't speak to India, but I expect the Chinese government to – do what they did with electric cars which is they said that's it by 2022 everyone has to have an electric car. So when you have a government structured the way theirs is, you can just come down and say this is the new rule and everyone has to pay attention and I think that China is going to be doing that when plant-based meats become in supply enough to replace actual meat, they will tell them that this is the way to go because it's too expensive for China to have to take care of 1.4 billion people. They've got 1.4 billion people in that country to take care of their health problems and the environmental impact, as well as food insecurity issues. So we saw during COVID that the the animal agriculture is a very susceptible equation to disruption. And if you ever have political problems or you're you know negotiating with someone who's orange and they're just disrupting your trade talks you know you don't you can't negotiate with the person who handles your food supply you have to handle that yourself otherwise you have no power so um, I think China's going to get very much behind plant-based foods as soon as we have the supply to be able to provide to them
1: well but playing devil's advocate uh, there are reports that um, people within the Chinese government, powerful people are also invested in the animal agriculture system and also reports that they're building these horrific, really nightmarish skyscrapers for, yes. uh, for animals so uh, they can be isolated uh, from the general population because of things like COVID. Uh, but that really, when I read that, I thought, well, this is hell on earth.
0: Yes, yes. And factory farms are hell on earth. And I wouldn't be surprised. So I've been reading similar things, but at the same time. So they're hedging their bets. They don't know what's going to take. So they're, they're investing in plant-based options and they are giving government support for plant-based options. And then at the same time, they're doing pigs and chicken farming. But, you know, you have to, again, look at China. There's nothing that says you're only going to have one pandemic. You can have a pandemic immediately after coronavirus. You can have several pandemics raging at the same time. China is still dealing with Asian bird flu. They've never been able to get a handle on that. And African swine fever has ravaged their pig population. That is obviously an equation that is not working. And pigs are a perfect host to transfer Asian bird flu from birds to people. So pigs are a precarious... um, entity, I guess I'll say, for multiple reasons. So, luckily, we have this on our side because if I had to rely on the common sense of humans, I wouldn't be that optimistic. But the mathematical business equation does not work. Animals are a bad business equation. They're inefficient. And if you want to be efficient with your food supply, and you have to be if you have 1.4 billion people, and if you want to save money, you got to get out of animal agriculture, and ultimately, that's going to be its saving grace. Business is going to be the saving grace.
1: Let's talk about American business in general. I see a lot of commercials where things like uh, just body products for men. It was uh, I just saw a commercial the other day. It said plant-based. Oh, yeah. um, they're using the word plant-based a lot. Uh, kind of like they used to use the word natural. Yes. Uh, And uh, so it seems like people recognize that this is something that is in the collective consciousness right now. But what are American businesses, aside from the vegan businesses, which we'll get into, but are American businesses starting to recognize this, that, wow, uh, as a rule, we need to go to, plant-based, I'm talking about big box stores, I'm talking about fast food chains, and I'm talking about um, just food producers in general. Yeah. So, this is
0: really the reason why I have plant-powered consulting. This issue in and of itself is my biggest revenue source, if you will. So, the word plant-based is starting to go the the way of organic or natural. Everyone's using it. It starts to mean nothing to anyone. Uh, even Tyson was calling their original raised and rooted nuggets, which were only 50% plant-based, 50% meat. They were calling them plant-based because they had some plants in it, which meat has been doing for a long time anyway to, to use as filler. So, the word, is no longer meaning it to anyone. So I'm always telling my clients, plant-based is no longer enough. You have to have a very different conversation with the consumer. Are you plant-based because you're older and you're healthier? Are you plant-based because you are with Greta and you're taking a stand against the environment? Are you a mom who's trying to bring her kids up in a healthy way? Plant-based is no longer enough. You have to have a very different kind of conversation with that consumer so that you can really, like Oatly has done, you look at that advertising campaign of how wonderfully Oatly communicates strongly and with conviction and mission and purpose with a very distinct subset of the plant-based group. They're not talking to everybody. They're talking to, you know, 25 to to 40 uh, younger millennials. Um, So, uh, yes, plant-based is no longer enough. Everyone is getting the memo. Everyone is jumping on board. You can walk into Costco now. So, Costco prior to COVID, there were, you know, I'm not talking about hummus and guacamole. There was basically beyond meat. That was it. Now there are so many Asian options with plant-based chicken in the, uh, noodle dish that I, I stopped counting. There was like seven or eight. And this is, you know, one year later after COVID. So a lot of big box stores are really getting the message. And as big box stores, grocery stores come back online, they need to be more relevant to the consumer because they've been out of the consumer zeitgeist for a little while. People are doing Instacart. They're getting things delivered to home. So they need to come back and rehab the whole shop experience and plant based is going to be a big part of that.
1: So let's talk about vegan businesses. Obviously the big news recently Oatly going public, it was right. on the front of CNBC.com. Yeah. Everybody was talking about it. Do we yeah. do it, we see more vegan companies going public? <laughs> yes, and I know 100%. you can't, you know, you don't have a crystal ball, but what are we hearing? We can't say for sure, and we invite by the way any companies mentioned in any capacity on this hour, to come on chain unchain and talk about this.
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You're going to see IPO after IPO after IPO. Uh, so, the NotCo company, wonderful company out of Chile, they uh, are anticipating a 2023 IPO. A lot goes on in Canada. So, it's not just IPOs that happen in the US. There's the Canadian Stock Exchange, et etc. And it's a little easier, a little less paperwork to go IPO in Canada. So, you're going to see, I would say, at least three in the next year do an IPO on, in Canada. So, I just think from here. Here
1: on out, you're going to see more and more. Um, and let's talk about vegan eggs. Um, vegan eggs are a hot topic. Uh, one of the more Google things, for example, on uh, people are very interested in vegan egg recipes. In fact, we're going to be doing a vegan egg week and you're invited to do one of the uh, episodes. Um, what's happening with that? Because obviously, Eggs are a horribly, not only cruel, but destructive to the environment, bad for health, their cholesterol bombs, They're, um, all the male chicks are ground up, they don't need them. And that's something that people don't are not aware of, but uh, it's, it's really a, a very, very destructive industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: on so many levels. And when you talk about the numbers of animals affected globally, it's chickens that are the most by uh, an enormous number. Um, And I do want to say just one thing before about, you know, well, meat consumption is also on the rise. So Tyson, as they launched Plant and Rooted, which they reformulated so that it was no longer half meat and half plant-based, but now it's 100% plant-based. At the same time, they're opening the largest chicken plant that they've ever opened in the last 25 years, and that's in the United States. So our work is cut out for us. Everyone's kind of got the memo about beef. They realize that there's this alternative burger out there, but chickens are taking it doubly hard. So eggs is a huge area uh, that we really need to address. Um, it's very exciting because here is where we can talk about innovation. I don't want to say that there isn't innovation behind burgers. There is, there is, there is. But, you know, so much of where America shines, and this isn't a political show, but I think it's something to note, is that we've always been on the forefront of innovation. And innovating for egg substitutes is just a tremendous opportunity to address cholesterol and to address um, environmental damage. So, the runoff from these chicken plants that goes into our water is you know, abominable. And if you knew it, if you knew about all the, the destruction that's coming into your own water supply, if you have any of these kind of chicken plants around you, you'd be very concerned, um, as well as animal welfare and environmental concerns. So, you're just seeing great um, interest out there because people want a replacement and great innovation out there, which is very exciting.
1: And we have a caller, Sarah, your question or thought for Elizabeth Alfano of the Awesome Vegans Podcast and the Plant-Based Business Hour, and also a contributor to Jane Unchained. Oh, hey, how are you? Um, I have a question. I just read that uh, the rapper, I think his name's Drake, yes. and I'm almost positive that him and said he was investing in vegan chicken, and I want to know... What do you think about all these, you know, people that are in doing investment, like these big celebrities? Do you think they're doing it for money or health or what do you think?
0: Yeah, so Drake invested in Daring Foods. So very exciting. I just uh, think the world of Daring Foods. I think they see the dollar signs and I think they are also of the... Uh, you know, 40 and under group that really wants to align their dollars with their values. I won't be naive and say it probably, you know, it's it's altruistic. It's money and it sort of goes with their brand as a as a celeb, you know, but I don't not trying to throw them under a bus or be cynical. I think it's really the money signs first and that it's doing the world a great service. And I think, as Drake said, because he was quoted all over the place, he wanted to see products on the market that he wanted himself. This is what I'm saying about there's more demand than there is supply. So, you know, Godspeed,
1: Daring Foods. And we have Donnie on hold. Donnie, your question or thought for Elizabeth Alfano of the Plant-Based Business Hour. Hello. How are you? Hi, Donnie. Just to be connected. Yeah, you ask your question, sir. Oh, sorry. I thought uh, <laughs> I thought that uh, you were bringing me in to ask me a question. No, we have a question. If you have a question for Elizabeth, uh, other than that, we'll we'll say goodbye. <laughs> um, All right. But come back when you've got a question. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, So let me ask you, uh, Elizabeth, 2021, it's been a difficult year, a challenging year. We're coming out of the pandemic. Put, yes, take out your crystal ball. What do you see happening in the plant-based space? You talk to so many leaders of vegan businesses. What is your um, prediction for 2021 going into 2022? Where are we gonna be a year from now?
0: You're going to see exponential growth. You're going to see so many products come on the market that don't even get the fanfare of Oatly. They're just going to be that plant-based chicken that shows up in the Chinese frozen section of dishes in Costco. It's going to be plant-based everywhere. It's just going to be the beginning. You're going to see investment dollars. So you've already seen in 2021, we have what, five months in, there's been more investment into cellular agriculture. So I'll get into that in just a second, what that is and how it's going to grow there's been more investment in the cellular agriculture in the first four and a half months of 2021 than all of 2020. So 2020 saw 330 million. We're already at 337 million, four and a half months in. So you see, it's, it's an exponential wheel. So the more money that comes in, the more innovation can happen, the more scale can happen, the more products get out there, the more prices come down, the more prices come down, the more demand goes up, the more you see. So we're on this. It's, it's almost, I don't want to say it's impossible, never say never, but it's very hard to stop the momentum that we have going on now. Cellular agriculture, I know you asked me for, you know, just a year out, but I think you're going to start to see cellular agriculture on mainstream uh, mainstream people have an opportunity to get it for themselves within five years.
1: Wow. Well, I know in Singapore, uh, Just served a uh, cell-based dish at this very fancy restaurant in Singapore. Um, That was like the first because I guess Singapore approved the sale. I know in Israel, there's a company working very hard on cell-based meat. There's also- Yes, and then there's also in Silicon Valley a lot of this happening. Give us a sense of what's happening in the cultured meat space, which for people who don't know, it's using a tiny bit of a cell of an animal to grow uh, the food with obviously a much lower carbon footprint and less suffering for the animals.
0: Yes. hundred percent. So you're growing in a controlled environment. So you have no factory farming issues for the animals, but you also have no antibiotics. You have no hormones, you have no fecal contamination. So no risks of Ebola and these kind of things. So wonderful at that. You can grow them much quicker. So you can grow exactly what you need. So a uh, uh, you know chicken breast let's say without the bones and the the feet and the things that you're not using the blood etc so you can grow exactly what you need so very efficient very time uh, efficient very short you need to put in much less inputs you know a, a chicken according to the uh, world resources institute a chicken takes nine calories of grain for every one calorie of meat that you get back. That's the best equation you're ever going to see, by the way. Uh, Beef is like 35 to one. Okay. So what business person says, I know I'll give you 90 cents. You give me a dime back. So this ratio of nine to one for chickens is, and you know, 35 to one for beef, um, Just a completely bad business equation, as we discussed before. So, cellular agriculture efficient on so many in so many ways, as well as of course the environment, as we say. So, you don't have all the animals defecating, and you don't have to get rid of their manure, and you don't have to chop down trees to grow grain. Do we give that grain to people with grain with fiber and protein? No, we give it to animals. Then we wait nine months; they're still not ready. We cut down more trees, more grains, etc. So, very inefficient animal agriculture. So, this is very efficient, but you know, takes innovation and. What has been holding up the cellular agriculture world is that medium. So the cells, when you grow them in a lab situation, they need to feed on something. And right now that medium, which is basically sugars and amino acids and these kind of things is very expensive. So you're looking for that cost to come down, more investment that you have into the space. And we talked about the investment in the space already. The more the costs come down, the more you can make it, the more it's just going to grow and scale. And to be clear, cellular agriculture is the death of factory farming. There is no way that you would ever choose factory farming if you had this better option for you. Same price, same taste, no antibiotics, no hormones, no environmental damage. So soon eating meat is going to be, imagine you walk onto an airplane with a lit cigarette. People would go crazy. It's going to be the same thing. You're eating your cellular meat or your plant-based meat and somebody over here has like, killing animals everyone's going to be like what's wrong with you what's psychologically what's wrong with you not to mention that it will be very expensive so um, these things are going to start to go very very fast
1: so you interview so many executives of some of the biggest companies tell us about some of the exciting uh, people you've talked to their companies and some of the innovative things that they're doing whether it's pr campaigns or products uh we haven't even gotten to vegan cheeses yet and of course uh, Miyoko's, Tree Line, Follow Your Heart, Daya, uh, the list, Vile Life, the list goes on and on. And I apologize yeah, to yes. anybody I left out, but there's so many vegan cheeses right now.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oddly good out of Finland and Tofurky just launched a Mucho Cheese and Grounded Foods is kind of new to the game. So cheese is is such a very exciting area. And we are still waiting to crack that code for cheese, by the way. We're still working on that very much. Again, we talked about innovation. Uh, So some of the interviews that I've loved, I've loved having Case Krustoff on my show. He's the CEO and chairman of the Live Kindly Collective. Live Kindly Collective is a collective of five businesses Um, Like Meat, No Meat, Fries, This, all European companies, and then the magazine Live Kindly. Uh, But what's interesting about what they're doing, so he was the former chairman, CEO, excuse me, of North America of Unilever, left Unilever to head up this plant-based collective. And so when you see them, this is such a smart business, you see them taking these five businesses and working together to save as economies of scale on distribution and costs and structures. And, you know, one of the companies in Germany, it does the PR for the other company in Sweden that's coming to the German market. You know, they, they work off each other in Europe. So you're seeing them grow like crazy and invest like crazy, which is so fun. Seth Goldman, who's the chairman of Beyond Meat, and uh, he's also the CEO of Plant Burger, yeah, plant burger, which has eight locations now. It's a fast food chain on the East Coast. So very exciting. Uh, he's just a wealth of knowledge, how he's talking about where the space is going to go. He's the person who was sharing with me that he thinks cellular meat's going to be on your plate in the next four to five years, which is so exciting. Bjorn Oste, who's the co-founder of Oatly, is a thrill to have him on the show talking about how the Swedish dairy lobby was so strong. It came heavily after Oatly and really attacked them. Oatly is this company that's been around for 20 years and nobody paid any attention to them until the Swedish dairy lobby attacked them. And they thought, well, we're going to use this to our advantage. We've got no real advertising budget. We'll just take word for word what the Swedish dairy lobby said against us and we'll put it in an ad and we'll show how cowardly they are. And boom, they were on the map thanks to the Swedish dairy lobby that gave them the advertising campaign. So a uh, very fun trajectory of Oatly. It's just so fun to be in touch with the people who are really changing the
1: landscape. And that often happens where there is uh, an attack launched against a vegan company and it backfires Eat Just, which was Just Eggs, Just Mayo, they went after them and it ended up giving them $21 million, reportedly, in free advertising. Then there's an entire move to prevent uh, any vegan company from using the words meat, dairy, uh, that they have to say a plant-based drink or phrases like that where does that stand? Because I know that that is something that's happening across the Western world. And uh, it's, it's really just ridiculous. The argument being that consumers will be confused if their oat milk or their soy milk says milk, that they can't figure that out, that that's not from a cow. How ridiculous, how insulting to consumers. Where does that stand? Can you bring us up to date on that?
0: Yeah, sure. And Europe and the US are in different places here. But Oli, again, had a great campaign basically asking their consumers, Are you this stupid? Because the government thinks you are. Um, and ultimately, I'll speak for the US. These things end up being overturned for, for, overturned for First Amendment rights issues. So no one is confused by plant based sausage. No one is confused that a plant based burger is a plant based burger and not meat. So consumers can read, and they do. In fact, with COVID, they read labels more and more. They used to just read the front of the package. Now they really care about the back as well. So uh, consumers read, they get it. They're not stupid. And ultimately this is an unfair competitive um, stab and they usually don't last in court. So state by state, and there has been a lot of states, Missouri, I think and Arkansas, uh, Tofurkey was having legal issues um, for it to be able to use the word sausage, I believe in Mississippi. I'm not hundred percent sure. And uh, uh, Upton's Naturals was having the same for their... I believe in Arkansas. Ultimately, I think both of those, if certainly one of them, um, uh, Upton's, was overturned and to- Tofurkey might still be going through it. But ultimately, and the Plant-Based Foods Association can talk to this as well, but it is an issue of First Amendment rights. And usually it just makes them look cowardly and like they can't compete. And Americans don't like companies that can't compete there you know we we believe in innovation we believe in free competition we believe in capitalism nobody's here to protect the cowards who aren't afraid to get dirty this is business folks let's get into it
1: but plant-based business owners and leaders are often really very concerned about not just making money, but saving the planet from an environmental catastrophe that is being brought on by animal agriculture, habitat destruction, wildlife extinction, water pollution, human world hunger, and climate change. And I was really struck when I was watching a cable TV news channel and they were interviewing the head of Impossible Foods and the reporter said, well, you're top competitor beyond meat. And he said, I want to stop you right there. Uh, And he said, words to the effect of we both have the same goal. I wish them the very best and essentially saying. We're, we're on the same team here. We have different products, but we both have the same mission. I thought that was so evolved. And it's really the essence of the vegan philosophy. Life isn't a zero-sum game. For me to win, you don't have to lose. For me to eat, you don't have to die. It's really an evolved uh, way of looking at the world. Do you see these vegan companies, in a sense, being capitalism 2.0, where we we um, create things that people want to buy. But in the process, we don't destroy the world, kill animals and engage in um, primitive behavior, essentially. A hundred percent. And I'll take that a step further and I'll say,
0: not only do you see this sort of uh, rising tides, lift all boats perspective between the plant-based companies as they're all working together to, um, you know, sometimes you'll see them share manufacturing facilities, for example, so that they can get the supply out to meet demand. You'll, You'll see that not only in how they work sometimes collaboratively, or at the very least, they don't slam each other, which you know, other competitors do, but in addition, they all stand by a purpose. And so this is really evolved business 2.0, as you say. There you just can't be plant-based. Again, I talked to that's just not enough. As I, I talked to all my clients about this, you really have to have a clear sense of purpose and mission. And that has to come through in all of your communications. That's what consumers are also interested in. Imagine your millennial or Gen Z, the world you're gonna inherit. So, you know, the pressure there on them to feel like help, I gotta you know, figure this out and I don't want to contribute. I want to make it better. That's what the consumer wants. And that's also what the plant-based company wants. So really getting that message out about how you stand for something. And if that means going against the status quo, well, then you do go against the status quo. Again, you look at Oatly and that wonderful advertising campaign they have about going against the status quo. So you see a lot of plant-based brands really taking a stand to make change.
1: And Let's talk about you and what you do, because you do consulting, you do public relations, you do strategizing, you also do all these interviews yep. for the Plant-Based Business Hour for Jane and Shane for your Awesome Vegans podcast. Tell us about Elizabeth Alfano. Oh gosh, I'm busy.
0: <laughs> There's, you know, I I mean, again, that's why I started this show by saying I feel bad for the people who aren't in the plant-based world because they read a lot of negative news all day. And for me, it is just positive news all day long. So right now I'm working with 14 different brands. I'm working with them in very different capacities. So sometimes it's media and communication strategy. Sometimes it's brand decks and marketing strategy. Sometimes it's just helping them with general overall business strategy, where they're going, introductions, helping them get investors. So that keeps me very busy. Busy. And then I do the, I do unfortunately awesome vegans a little bit less because I don't just don't have the time. But I am deeply committed to weekly plant based business hour episodes. So you can get those at wherever you get your podcasts. You just subscribe. Um, but the plant based business hour, I'm deeply dedicated to that. And so it's been a very very interesting time.
1: How do you get these executives, these top executives of these huge corporations, to sit down and talk to you? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I have to plan way out because
0: their schedules are very packed. But all of them say yes. I'm not. I, I'm not sure I can really explain why. I think because and one of the successes of the plant based business hour, and I did launch it during COVID, is that this is really the first podcast of its kind. There was nothing focusing on plant based business. So over the year, year and a half now that I've been doing the plant based business hour, it's become a staple in the plant based business community. To be on this show if you want to get your message out and it's followed and really listened to in the community. You know, obviously it's a niche subject, but if you're in this community or you want to get in this community, most people are listening to it.
1: Wow. Now let's talk about small companies because I know a lot of people who have small businesses, mom and pops. They would pop up at VegFest. They're making something really mom and pop capitalism that is good for people, good for the planet, good for the animals, and uh, they don't know that much about business, but they make some really good products. What advice would you give to very small business owners who are just starting a vegan product line?
0: Well, it would depend on their goal, but if their goal is to get bigger, and for some, it's not. For some, they want to keep this business quasi-hobby. It's what they love. They love cooking, and so they do this product, but they're happy to keep it you know in their metro area and that's fine for them but if their goal is to get bigger then i would look at raising money so that you can add the experts to your team to help you scale because if you don't figure out it's very different to do something on a small Basis uh, or to do batch cooking. I'm assuming that we're talking about foods here, but there are other things. There are materials, there are websites, there's platforms. You know, there are other kinds of vegan businesses. But for now, let's just stay with the food platform. Very different to do batch cooking on a large scale than it is to do something small in your kitchen. So really, find the experts that can help you scale because you'll never make a dent in the marketplace like you need to to affect change if you don't scale. Scale meaning growing bigger, cutting down costs, getting distribution lines, and getting those out there. So You can have a general business consultant like me, or I can help you with your marketing and PR work, but you really want someone on that distribution uh, operations uh, arena to help you find the right co-packer and really scale up.
1: Let's talk about vegan fashion. Vegan yes. fashion, non-leather, uh, hemp, and they have pineapple leather. They have yeah, mushroom leather. leather. I mean, there's so many things happening on yeah, the yeah. vegan fashion front. And, of course, uh, Tesla's with their vegan leather has yeah. made yeah. vegan leather hot and yeah. actual animal leather kind of old-fashioned and like fur. Yeah, I love that. So thank you to Tesla,
0: actually, because Tesla pushing vegan leather in their cars, I think for them it was an environmental push, but they forced Mercedes-Benz and BMW to do the same. Now, BMW and, and Mercedes aren't 100%, but uh, Tesla's move in that area really pushed the others. And it's a very important move because automotive leather is second only to shoe leather in terms of the marketplace. So when Tesla moved the needle, they moved the needle in a big way. So grateful to them. But it's exciting to see so many designers come Um, on the marketplace, so of course there's always been Stella McCartney, uh, but there's others using bolt threads, which is, you know, there's just more and more leather companies coming online, and there's more and more um, designers using this leather to make things other than purses. I was happy to see us us finally move out of, like, the the vegan bag and go into vegan
1: fashion, really. And one thing that I've noticed, as you talked about shoes, is the rise of uh, non-leather shoes, because yes. we've become a more casual society, and you see so many non-leather shoes now. to see a leather shoe, unless you're in London or midtown Manhattan, is almost rare today. Uh, people are are misguided about the idea of leather. They think, well, the animal's gonna be killed anyway, but in truth, many animals, millions of animals are killed just for leather. It's not a byproduct of meat. Can you explain that a little bit?
0: Well, um, so I don't work in this area too much, but I will add to what you're saying. It is not necessarily a byproduct of meat, and if you have any environmental concern, if you have been even remotely close to a tannery, you know the kind of chemicals it goes into making goes into making leather from animal hide. Just it, I've been near them, and you can't breathe. You you just start throwing up right there. It's its atrocious. So, yes, I think, very, as you say, we're much more casual, particularly in like the tennis shoe area. You know, Adidas has come out with, and very proudly, so much vegan, uh, so many vegan shoes. And, you know, Venus also being vegan herself. This has also helped to see more and more of these athletes be vegan and plant-based and push that towards their shoes as well. So, it's been exciting to watch.
1: We've got a caller, Amy, if you're still there, your question or thought for Elizabeth? Yes, I'm here. This is Annie. Hi, Hi, Jane. Hi, Elizabeth. Love you both. You are incredible. Um your, your voices are just uh, the hearing our planet, the, the things you talk about. I am so excited about the lab meat. I just was wondering how fast is this going to happen? Is there any subsidy? Is there any kind of hope that um, aside from just uh, vegans supporting it uh, in the government, is this being pushed? And how soon are we going to see this? In the markets, in the schools, in the hospitals, in different places. Aside yep. from, of course, our awesome Beyond Meat, the Impossible, Gardene, and all the brands, the, the vegan brands. So, how soon are we going to see it? I'm sorry I joined in a little uh, after you started that uh, you might have talked about. It. I apologize if I'm going to have you what? repeat it if you've talked about yeah, it before. No Great question. Great question, Amy. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no worries.
0: So we're going to see this in market between four and five years. We did talk about Singapore being the first place to regulate cultivated meat, and they did allow one restaurant to do that, but it's also available at a restaurant in Israel. Super Meat is working on that. And there's been a Marriott hotel chain, Jane, you were talking about hotels, that has adopted only – all of their chicken is going to be cellular chicken. This is a hotel chain in a Mar- the Marriott's in Singapore. So you are seeing moves on that front. Now, from the U S standpoint, you're going to see it in about four to five years. No, we don't have government funding for it. Like we should Canada has been more advanced there. Obviously Singapore is funding some of this research. Israel does a great job of having this triangular effect of universities getting government support that is then helping business. So this, um, uh, Business capitalism, supported by government and universities—the brains of going on in universities, innovation—we're not doing that. It's very disappointing. GFI works on the Good Food Institute works on this pretty heavily. There has been a couple murmurings from Congresswoman Rosa Lauro, who said to Tom Villasek, "I want to see research in alternative proteins." Obviously, we saw during coronavirus what
1: was well, obs- let me obs- let me say this. Please. You know, research and alternative programs sounds like let's torture some more animals because, you know, the USDA has a very, very bad record with that. The research is there. You don't need the government to do research. You need the government to stop ending the subsidies of the bad food. Um, we taxpayers are forced to subsidize meat, and dairy, uh, which they, the government not only promotes uh, the incredible edible egg and those kinds of campaigns. Yeah but also they force this food on schoolchildren on prisoners on institutions and um, i don't think more re- the, the research is being done by private enterprise what what the government needs to do is Get out of the meat and dairy industry, essentially. But unfortunately, they have huge numbers of lobbyists and you include pharmaceuticals because the pharmaceutical industry would collapse if people went plant-based. They wouldn't need their cholesterol-lowering drugs, their erectile dysfunction drugs, and all the other drugs that are related to their diet.
0: Yeah, so so much to unpack here. I'm glad that you mentioned pharmaceuticals. A lot of this research already has been done and is, been, is being used by the pharmaceutical company. Let me give you an example to that. So, um
1: Insulin. Maybe keep brand names
0: aside for this conversation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Insulin. It used to come from factory farm pigs, but of course, you would have fecal contamination and problems with that. So they decided to take insulin, the genes needed to create insulin, cells needed, excuse me, to create insulin and do that in a lab. So they're already creating insulin in a lab because they don't want it to be factory farmed. It's the exact same thing here with cellular meat. Uh, some differences, I'm grossly overstating so um, so a lot of the, the the technology is there but Jane I will say yes. M- government has to get out of um, meat and dairy because it's lopsided, not representing what the consumers want. So, it's an unfair business practice. But we also still do need research. And um, I'm sorry if I misspoke. It's research and alternative proteins, not research and alternative programs. So, research and alternative proteins, because we need to get that cost of what the cells eat is very expensive, making it hard to go to market. We do need innovation around scaling up cellular agriculture on a grand scale. Um, and other governments around the world are doing this. Uh, Europe even is funding it a little bit. Oh, Singapore. Canada's gotten on um, the bandwagon. They've been funding a lot of this research into alternative proteins, so what kind of peas and how to grow them. I mean, Canada's been good on this. The U.S. is behind. It's shameful
1: because it's a big part of our national security. And I mean, we haven't even gotten to transitioning ranchers and farmers from growing animals to growing plants. Uh, There is a huge move toward that which is being Uh, very strongly opposed by the meat, dairy industry, as well as those within government who are connected to the meat and dairy industry. So uh, it's still a David and Goliath battle. What do people need to do? We've only got a couple of minutes here. What do people need to do? If people are watching and they say, wow, we love these plant-based businesses, what can we do to move this trend toward a global cultural shift to plant-based eating? What can they do?
0: vote with your dollars. So if, if factory farming does not align with your values, don't support it. That used to be something hard maybe five years ago. Not today. You got lots of choices. So, And if you don't see the thing that you want in your grocery store, you ask the manager because it does exist and they can get it. And it exists in a mainstream distribution way. They call up UNFI or kehe these big national distributors, and they order it. So, not a big deal for them. So, if you want to see different plant-based chicken, your deli slices, your burgers, your sausages, your plant-based meat, your plant-based dairy, your yogurt, it's all there. Your plant-based cheeses. You ask them for the brand that they want. It is possible for them to get it. You vote with your dollars. So yes, hop on Instagram and take pictures and stuff. That's great too. So you can show all your friends like, hey, I'm not contributing to, you know, global climate crisis right here. I'm having a great burger and I'm not, you know, none of the damage that goes with it. Animal agriculture, bad for my health, all that. So show everybody on Instagram, but really vote with your dollars. You put those dollars where you want your values to be and you'll see a shift.
1: Wow. Well, you are doing so much. I am blown away. And I have to say on a personal note, you're my dear friend, as well as an incredible contributor to JaneUnchained.com because we um, do stream your uh, plant-based business hour, which is so fascinating. And uh, I just think uh, what you're doing is so important. We need a thousand Elizabeth Alfano's. Don't we though? Uh Come on, everybody. So if people want to contact you, let's say they have a small vegan business, how do they reach you? The best way is LinkedIn. Really, that's where I live. So go DM me, direct
0: message me on LinkedIn. Um, But if you want more information about me, just go to elizabethalfano.com. That'll kind of show you all the stuff I do with my clients and also the plant-based business hour. Elizabeth is spelled a little funny, E-L-Y-S-A-B-E-T-H-A-L-F-A-N-O.com, elizabethalfano.com. You'll probably just Google me. You'll find it everywhere. So yeah, reach out, folks,
1: anytime. All right. Well, you've given me hope for our world. Things are getting better. And when change occurs, it cha- it happens rapidly. Yeah, so, it's coming. We are, we are accelerating at light speed toward the tipping point. Yeah. Watch this space because I'm telling you within a couple of years, meat and dairy is going to be the outlier. A hundred percent. Yes, Let's Jane. Go. Yes, All yes, right. yes. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Alfano of the Plant Based Business Hour and the Awesome Vegans Podcast and Jane Unchained. Thank you for joining us here. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Belez
0: Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.